You're trying your best to not have one night stands all the time and do that kind of thing. But it seems like every relationship you just get sucked right back into doing some stuff that you wish you wouldn't be doing. And you want a godly boyfriend or you want a godly girlfriend, but you can't find it. And it's just like you're emotionally just jacked up all the time. Maybe financially you're in debt. And you don't know when the creditors are going to be coming. And so you're always trying to keep them at bay and trying not to answer phones and you're trying to ignore certain things. You're just not sure and you're jacked up. So when we begin this morning, what I want to do is give us a definition for this concept of jacked-upness or being jacked up. It's not really a word, but it was like Google. Google wasn't a word for a while. And uh, who knows, a bunch might get jacked-upness one time, okay? But if, you, if you're jacked up, it means this, that there are so many issues and problems, you don't even know where to begin to fix it. Like, there's so much stuff going on, you don't even know where to begin to fix it. Now, can anybody relate to this? There's a few heads shaking. A couple people raise their hands, you know. Well, maybe some of you right now, you're sitting there, and you feel that. Your life's stuck, and something's not right. Well, I got some good news for you. And the good news actually is uh, the news that we're going to kind of have to focus for the entire series. There's a scripture verse in Romans 3.23 in which there's a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul, before he came to Christ, he was jacked up. He was like killing Christians. He was taking them out, having them slaughtered. He was blackboard. And then God came into his life and God turned him around, and then all of a sudden, he actually wrote half of the New Testament. Think about that. You're jacked up, you're killing people, God gets in your life, and all of a sudden, you write half of the New Testament. So, if there was hope for Paul, then there's hope for everyone of us. So, in Romans 3.23, Paul says it's the three that outline together. It'll come up on the side screen. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Let's say it again. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, what word is used the most in that verse? What is it? Not some, not most, not the people that make six figures, not the people that drive the feet. No, 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 no. All have sinned. Everybody. Folks, all of us, including Billy Graham, Joel Olstein, uh, you know, Mother Teresa, you name any religious figure that you look up to. At the end of the day, folks, they have all sinned. And there have been seasons of their life that have been jacked up. And I want you to know right off the bat that the guy who's talking to you right now I am one jacked up dude. I am. And uh, you don't have to say amen for that. You'll do it. But I am. But this is the thing. I got a group of people here that are listening to me. Guess what? I mean, you're pretty jacked up too. You are. In fact, look at the person beside you right now. Okay, look at them right now. Now, you might think that they had it all together. Go ahead and look. Look at it. You might think they have it all together. Guess what? I'll give you a secret. They don't. They don't. That person that you're looking at right now has done some things, has said some things, and has some has thought some things that would shock you. It would shock you. And I'm gonna say what? Now if you're Currently jacked up, the place that you will find it manifesting itself the most is guess where? In your relationships. It's always in your relationships. I mean, everybody at work might think that you have it all together. And they're like, oh man, he's 
such a dense guy, or, oh, she is such a loving woman. And then you get home, and it's like nastiness between you and your spouse, and the kids don't want to be around you. It's jacked up. Abraham Lincoln said this, you can fool all of the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people what? You can't fool all the time. And your family especially. Like I've seen people fool their families for a long, long period of time, but eventually, folks, everybody knows. Now the question becomes, how do we get out of a jack-jack situation? Well, the culture tells us very simple things. Things like just abortion, give up on marriage, go ahead and, you know, quit your job, just move, move away from here and everything else will be better. You see, the way the world is, if you've got a problem, don't worry about the problem. Avoid it and go on to the next problem. So don't fix the problem that you're dealing with that's got you all jacked up right now. Just go and avoid that and move on to the next problem. But here is the quandary with that. It's this. You still gotta take you with you. Let me say that again because some of you meant to put over your head. You still gotta take you with you. If you're jacked up in your, if you were jacked up in your last marriage, and you don't like work on yourself and get you taken care of, and a lot of people are like, well, what my wife was, it was her fault. <laughs> Come on, I'm hundred percent their fault. I don't think so. No, you got some issues. You gotta get it together first. Because if you don't, you'll take all that jack upness into. The next marriage. If you're jacked, if you jacked, if you got jacked up in your last job, and you're like, yeah, but they were all against me. They just weren't nice to me, man. It wasn't my. No, no, no. It was about you. Like, it was about you. And if you get jacked up living in a town, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to move. I'm going to move to another zip code. You know what you're going to do? You're going to jack up that next zip code. You see, the problem isn't everyone's against me and the world is out to get me. The problem is there are patterns in your life and you need to make some changes. The scripture that we're going to look at this morning is probably one that's familiar to most people. They know something about the story of Adam and Eve. They know that they were kind of there in the beginning, and it's in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Now, before Adam and Eve got jacked up, uh, the Bible says this. It'll come up on the side screens. The man and the woman were naked, and they were not ashamed. You know, I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised a preacher's kid. I never heard my dad teach on this. Anytime naked was mentioned, man, it wasn't mentioned from the pulpit, you know? Even though everyone's been naked, everybody's doing all kinds of stuff, nobody ever talked about nakedness. And uh, I never heard it talk. And so I was thinking about, like, what does this mean when he says that they were naked and they were on the ship? Is it because they worked out a lot, you know, they like real buff, you know, blow? But we're sitting too fat? No. The point is, there was no hiddenness. There was no hiddenness between the first two human beings. No concealing anything. There was no guilty secrets to separate. There was no dark memories that one of them might wake up at two in the morning and wish, you know what? I wish I had never gotten into this. Imagine this, just for a second, folks. Two human beings married to each other, everything that they'd ever done, everything they'd ever said, everything they'd ever thought, felt, was freely revealed to each other. And they knew that they, when, when they spoke, that the source that they would get back from the other person was nothing but admiration and delight and intimacy. 
They were fully known and they were fully loved. But then they chose to sin, and sin came into the world, and so did change. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible tells us this. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord called to Adam, Where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. God comes out of me and he's like, Hey, where are you going at? What are you You can look at the board. What did they do? They did. And you know the one thing that human beings are excellent at when it comes to God is hiding. Ever since that very first encounter, people have been hiding and hiding and hiding. The scripture continues. I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Then this is one of my favorite lines. God said, Who told you that you were naked? You see, for some of you, you have a relationship with God and you feel Him ask questions to you sometimes, and so you know that's the Holy Spirit. Some of you are not there yet, but you have a conscience and you hear these things. Regardless of what you call it, folks, God sometimes asks questions of us, but it's not because He doesn't know the answer. He already knows the answer. He wants you to think about it and like mold it over in your mind a little bit. Adam and Eve said, We saw you come into the garden, we didn't have any clothes on, so we got embarrassed. And God's like, What? You had no problem before? You were naked as a January, you just let it all hang out, walk around. Woo! You had no problem there with that whatsoever. You didn't have a camera you weren't concerned about anything. In verse 11, God asks, Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? You know, the one thing that I told you not to do, is that the thing you did? Yes, I did. Then I was I disobeyed. I did not do what you told me to do. I'm, I'm feeling jacked up. Folks, how do we typically respond when we get jacked up? Well, first of all, I think we cover the shame. We cover the shame. All of us have areas in our life that we don't like to talk about. They might be skeletons in the closet. They may be just a secret that we ourselves are refusing to share. We'll keep that covered up. I don't want anyone else to see this. All of us have those things that have a tendency to kind of jack us up. And after Adam and Eve got all jacked up, they typically, the way that they responded was that they covered their shame. Shame is what you feel like when you lied to someone or you took advantage of them. Shame is the pregnant teenager who's afraid to go to their mom or their dad. Shame is a hardworking father who secretly works hard all day, who secretly at night is watching internet porn, and Christian dads do that. Shame is an adult who was sexually abused as a child. Shame is the spouse who finds themselves attracted to someone else. Shame hits, and when it hits, what happens is we try to cover it at all costs. I've shared with you guys before that my college days were filled with rebellion and recklessness. I was just very, very reckless. I partied a lot. I did all kinds of stuff uh, that I really feel bad about, that I wish I could have taken back. And I'll never forget when I became a pastor in the small community that we lived in, where they actually had more hogs than people. But all the pastors would get together regularly for a monthly meeting. And when I would get into that meeting, they would talk about their past and their lives. 
and talk about how they were sexually pure and how they had never tasted alcohol and how they had always kind of been on the straight and narrow. When I would sit in this group of pastors, I just start feeling so much shame. Because that wasn't my past. Like, that wasn't my story. And I'll never forget we were at a meeting one time and they were talking about past sins. Well, they wouldn't, let's share past sins. And so everyone started sharing some past sins. They're like, you know, I mean, like the things that really like rocked your world. And people started sharing. <laughs> and I lie. And you know why I lie? Because there was shame there. And I wanted to cover the shame at all costs. When our lives are jacked up, we usually will cover the shame no matter what. The second way we typically respond when we're jacked up is by passing the blame. So we cover the shame and we pass the blame. Remember in the story God asked Adam, have you eaten the fruit I commanded you to eat? Yes, Adam admitted. But it was the woman who gave it to me, who brought me to the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And I love this story. There's like only two human beings in the entire world. There's only two. And what did they do? Immediately, they perfect the game of blame. They're like, it wasn't me. It was, it was her. And in one translation, it's actually that phrase. It's that woman. It's like, I'm not the one who's in her name. And he's like, well, just in case you want to really know, it's not even that woman that's to blame. You gave me that one. I wasn't asked for it. You gave it to me. And then, Eve's like, oh, who am I going to blame? Okay, there's only three of God, you can't blame that one. Oh, the servants. That's who did it. And ever since then, folks, you know why human beings have become excellent at all The blame game. We're really good at blaming other people. Some of us still blame our parents for the fact that our life is jacked up. You don't know how I was raised. My parents were never around. They were horrible. Other people blame their education. You have no idea what schools I went to. I didn't have all the advantages that other people and some people, they just blame whoever is closest to them. You know? It's like, it's your fault this happened. You did this. You said that. You hurt me. Now, I want to be sensitive to the fact that some of you in this room have had a lot of bad stuff done to you. Some of you have had some horrible stuff done to you when you were younger. And I'm not here by any means to say that any of that is good whatsoever. But you can't live your whole life blaming this one event. At some point in your life, you have to say, I am not going to let that one thing define my life. I'm done blaming. I'm done blaming. I've got to take responsibility for my one and only life. And you know, folks, this doesn't just happen with people who have maybe made a lot of poor choices. This happens to people who've been in the church their entire life and they live with a legalism that you could never imagine. That when God goes down and he sees it, he's actually ready to spit that out of his mouth more than any immoral thing. You may have done. So this doesn't give us a pass, folks, just because you've been in the church for a long time. When your lives get jacked up, typically you respond in one of two ways. Either one, you cover the what? The shame, or you pass the what? 
impacts of life. The first uh, thing we have to realize too is that even if we do these things, there's no consequences, folks, for our sin. The first consequence to a death of life is this. Our relationships become fractured. Our relationships actually become fractured. Like I said earlier, after Adam sinned, he took it like a man, right? He climbed his life. Took it like a man. I'm going to get all these things from men. I'm not coming back to that. Get over it. And just think of how the relationship between Adam and Eve became fractured. I mean, before their life got jacked up, folks, they're in paradise. Do you realize that the Garden of Eden is what heaven is going to be like when we actually get to heaven? So they're experiencing paradise in their garden. God's walking through the garden. There is community, and there is this love that you can't even imagine. And Adam's wife is like in perfect shape because all she ever eats is fruits and vegetables. There's no animal that's been killed yet. They're not eating meat. So she's looking good, and he, he didn't have a mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, man, I don't like a mother-in-law that's been eating this. But then, after he said, and this is the thing, a lot of times we, we're very familiar with this story. And we're like, really ate the fruit. What does this have to do with fruit? You know what this has to do with? This has to do with the fact that Adam and Eve decided that God wasn't enough. They looked in the mirror, and this is what it says in chapter 1. It actually says that they were made in God's image. This is what took place. They looked in the mirror, they saw the image that God made, and they said, it's not enough. It's not enough. I'm going to create my own image. I'm going to be my own God. And as they turned away from God, their lives got jacked up. And let me say that to you. Every time you turn away from God, you're getting closer. To you can name it, you can say it, you can do whatever you want, you can go through all the little exercises to say, oh, no, 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 And the relationship became fractured. Their trust with God was broken, their trust with each other was broken. Folks, when your life gets jacked up, this is the thing you can realize too. It doesn't just affect you. It affects all the people around you. It affects your sons and your daughter when they're dropped off at the little big game or the ballet recital and dad and mom choose to work a lot longer and not get there because they want to impress the boss. It affects your wife who she can't measure up to that porn star that you look at at the late night hour. She can't measure up, and it affects her every time you get jacked up and you look at her. And it affects your husband. Who's tired all the time that you come back home and you're gossiping about everyone, and then you start putting him down and ridiculing him. Folks, when our lives are jacked up, we fracture our relationships. The second consequence is this. We experience great pain. We experience great pain. Adam and Eve, they become separated from each other, separated from God, and they experience pain. And this is the thing. The thing that got jacked up in their life actually went on to jack up their two kids' lives. And if you read just a couple of chapters later, Cain kills his only brother, Abel, because of the sense of being jacked up. And then there are consequences to the fact that there were sins. God said that he can all charge the pain of your pregnancy, and in birth it will be painful. Having kids will not be easy, and you will want to control your husband. And this is a battle that still happens today between husbands and wives. 
You will want to control your husband, but he'll rule over you, and the pain comes into the relationship. To have to sit the ground on his curse because you got a jacked up life. Now there'll be thistles and thorns. You'll have food to eat, but it's going to be harder. Life is not going to be easy anymore. And then finally, the biggest consequence, the final one, the coup d'etat, you might say, Adam and Eve, for their jacked-up life, God says this, So the Lord God banished Adam and his wife from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been. And their lives get jacked-up, folks, and they begin to experience that. Before that, there was no pain on planet Earth. Now, some of you might be sitting there and you're like, well, why did God have to keep them out of the garden? Is God a meaning? Like, is God meaning? Because some of you have been raised in situations where you think God is out to get you, and he's mean. Well, let me respond simply by saying this. No. The reason God gives consequences to our actions to a jacked-up life is this. He loves and cares about us so much that He doesn't want us to destroy our lives. He loves us and cares for us too much to watch us destroy our lives. Folks, God is love. And because He loves us, He couldn't just stand on the sideline and continue to watch us go down this reckless road so he intervenes, and the way he does it is by saying, I'll give some consequences. Because he knew if he didn't get involved, the decision would eventually lead to more and more and more pain, so he gave some consequences. Let me ask you this question. Let's say that my youngest daughter, Shiloh, goes out and she just starts playing in the road. And I'm at our house and I see her playing in the road, and I go out to her and I'm like, Shiloh, you cannot play in the road. If you play in the road again, you're going to be in timeout. Okay, Dad. I go back into the house. I get into the house and start doing something. I look out to see if she's okay. You realize that's why your head's bothering this you all the time. It's always thing. And so I look out and I look and I see she's, she's running like in the road again. I go back out and I said, I told you the consequence. It's going to be timeout. I pick her little butt. Up, take her back, put her inside the house, bam, time out. Turn on the timer, time out's done. You realize what you did? Yeah, I realize what I did. Okay, Shiloh, you, you do it again, you're going to get a spanking. All right, Dad, no problem. She goes back outside. Five minutes later, she's out there uh, in the cold sack, she's playing in the street again. I look at her, I'm like, seriously? I go back out, I grab that kid, I take her back into the house, and I give her a spanking. Now, here's my question for you guys. Am I a mean, cruel dad? No. It's a loving thing to do, right? I mean, you know how horrible I would feel if my daughter went out onto a road and I gave her no consequences and her head was smashed against the bumper? I'd carry that for the rest of my life. Some of you are like, you know, I don't want to use these illustrations of these little kids. You know, I have little kids. I have these jerks that live in my house. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can say that because I don't like you. Some of you guys are jerks. <laughs> now, let's say that your 17 year old son takes the car out and does his own thing. He, uh, comes home, and he walks in like, hey, Dad, what up? <laughs> and you smell alcohol in his breath, and you're like, are you kidding? You grab those keys, you're like, you're not driving for a year. He sobers up, he gets up the next morning, like, hey, Dad, where's my keys? You can't get your keys for another year. Does he mean that? Because you want to prevent him from destroying his life Folks, the loving thing that God does, honestly, is He 
significance of consequences. I know it's hard for some of you to grasp, but consequences really are simply gifts from the hands of a loving God. So we've learned what it means to be jacked up. We've learned what the consequences uh, are to them. We've learned how we respond to that. we learned that when God gives us consequences, he does it simply because he loves us. And I'm going to get really practical here at the end. And uh, I hope these are things that if you have a jacked up life right now, or you have the potential to have it in the future, we all do. You want to know these three things. First of all, if you want to unjack your life, you must dive into God's words. Okay, you got to dive into. You got to apply God's words. His wife says, "Folks, this book right here is not a call to like push you down. You know what it is? It's simply a love letter that is opened up to be able to build you up. And last Sunday, Easter Sunday." Great Sunday, and all these people that came up, and we get dozens and dozens of Bibles away with a five-minute reading plan. If you don't have Bible, Bible that you don't have, you don't understand it. Uh, go to the resource center; we'd love to get that to you and uh, get that connected. But let me ask you this: because not everybody, just if you were here last week, not everyone came back, and some of them took the Bible. Now let's say that they took this Bible, they they got this Bible, they took it home, they put it on the table, and then they just kept on with their jacked up life. Did that help them at all? No. You know what that is at that point? Paper. Might be a paper weight, might be a paper something else, but that doesn't do anything for you whatsoever. Now my question is this. Now this is my Bible. Okay? This is my Bible. Now, if my Bible is going to get read, Whose responsibility is it to read my Bible? Yours, that mine. Now, let me ask you this. If you need a Bible, I've got one, so don't have an But if you have a Bible, and your Bible is not getting read, whose responsibility is it to read your Bible? No, it's not mine. That's not somebody gets my personal. They're like yours. No, it's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Now, this is the thing. I've heard all this, all of this. I don't like to read. I don't understand it. I don't like it. Get it on the tape. Get it on Google. I don't care how you get it. Just get it. Allow God's words to fill. Because this book is unlike any other book. This book, I love reading. I love books. But this book, folks, has supernatural power. There's supernatural power that when you read it, it actually has the power to change your life. And the reason it has the power to do that is because it's God's words, inspired by God, given to you. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is actually alive. It's alive. It gives you life. Folks, if you want to begin to get your life unjacked, die in God's Word. Because that's the power to change. D.L. Moody, who was a famous pastor in Chicago a hundred years ago, he said this The Bible is not given to increase our knowledge, the Bible is given to change our lives. Now, if you're like me, there are some things in my life that I don't like. There are some things in my life that I don't want. There are some things in my life that I know need to be changed. The only way that I found that does this. It is the Bible, okay? It's not the view, okay? It's not any other television show you're going to watch. It's not Dr. Phil, Oprah, you know? Never do it. It's this. You may have even tried to change your life on your own from a jacket, but the reality is it hasn't changed. The Bible says this, the wise words of God can change things that you cannot change on your own. So, we can give you 15 seconds right now. Guess what? God's going to date with you tomorrow. God's been like, I want to date with you. So, you take out the time that you're going to spend with him to read his words. Go ahead and write it down. Put it on your hand if you have to. Whatever it is.
any of you ever stand up a person before? Don't admit But you know you have. Don't stand on God tomorrow. He's ready to be with you. Second thing to jack your life. Take responsibility for your own actions. You take responsibility for your own actions. Galatians 6.5 says this. We are responsible for other people's conduct. We are responsible for other people's conduct. So what it says? No. It says we are responsible for our own Folks, if your life is jacked up, whose responsibility is it? You give it up yet. Yours. And you need to stop complaining and make some smart choices. Because your choices, folks, influence your life as much as your circumstances. Now, I realize you can't control your circumstances. Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. But you can always choose how you're going to respond to the stuff. You can respond in faith. You can respond in gratitude, thankfulness. You can trust and surrender your life to God. There are things that you can do, but it's your choice. Your reality is this, folks. You choose how jacked up your life is. You realize You choose how jacked up your life is. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame somebody else. Don't blame the kids. Man up, woman up, turn to God, take responsibility, look at his life's Last thing, join a support group. Here at the job, we have three, three support areas that people can be a part of so that you're growing through the week and you're not on an island by yourself. But I don't know why it is. People don't take advantage of it. The first one is a card that you receive. If you pull this out real quick, on one side, on the left side here of the screen, it says small groups. Yes, I want to grow. I want to be in a small group. Now some of you are like, well, what's a small group? Like, what's that all about? I mean, is a small group going to be this group of weird people that are in a circle holding hands on do that, we shut them down and then we send them to another church. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what happens. It's a group of five to or six to fifteen people that get together and they encourage each other. They pray for each other. They love on each other. There's food in these places. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. We had a new couple that came this last week. They said their name and what they liked about Easter. And that was it. You know, the, the guy, I love the guy, he, he said he's like, he was really nervous. Like, they put a spider on my kid's head for Easter at church, you know? Like, that was an answer. I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, that's a good thing. But no one, other than your name, and one question is, like, what do you like about Easter? That's it. So small groups is a great way. Second thing is appreciate. There are some of you right now. And you're struggling with some stuff because you lost a parent, or a spouse, or a child, or a friend, and you're stuck in your grief, and you just can't get out of it. And grief here is a place to come. And starting April 27th, on the back of that card, April 27th, on Monday evenings, we're going to have a place where people who are stuck in their grief can be killed up. You want to be a part So, where's the company? Happens on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. If you have a hurt habit or hang of any kind, why would you want to go through the rest of your life? Get it healed up for you. So, whether it's depression or food addiction or drug abuse or if you're codependent and the person that you're enabling all the time just gets frustrated about it or you struggle with anger, whatever it is. Celebrate recovery. It can be the catalyst, folks, that can absolutely change the direction of your life. You don't want to be jacked up. Now, why should you do this? Why should you be a part of one of these two supporters? First of all, is because you get prayer. You get prayer. 
The Bible says this, we are confident that God will continue to rescue us on Jackass, since you are also joining to help us when we when you pray for us. Friends, let me just ask you this question. Is there anybody in your life praying for you? Like, is there any person praying for you? And likewise, are any of you praying for somebody else? If you want to get unjacked, you need other people around you. You weren't created to do this alone. You were created to have people around you to do that. Now, actually, today, anyone in here who's not a part of the small group because, or one of these support groups because you're out here on your own. You're like isolated on an island and you don't know what's going to come the next storm. But when it happens, that people around means so much. This weekend, I experienced probably one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced in my life as a pastor in my life in general. I, uh, I was called on uh, Friday by some people in our church whose parents are our, our, our kids, these friends of ours and their parents. They were pregnant and looking forward to having a child just a couple of days, or a couple of months from them, seven weeks out actually. And uh, I get a phone call that the, the baby, the heartbeat, and stuff. And they said, would you please come? Would you please be there? I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. I've never experienced this before. And at uh, 3.30, Saturday morning, I get a phone call from Parkview Hospital in Fort Wayne. And I get in my car, and I'm driving up, and I'm just, like, crying because of this poor family. What they're doing with them. I'm like, God, what am I going to say? What comfort am I going to be? How am I going to help anybody? And all of a sudden, it hit me. I was like, I got a few people around me. I got some people that can pray for me and pray for this thing with me. And so I sent out a text. Now, I wasn't texting you right. I put my little, uh, I, I can't text that fast anyway. So I put it on and I just spoke into it and it typed it all out for me and I sent it out to my small group. And all of these people just started praying. They're like, I'm praying. And then there were some people in the church that was like, hey, man, I need you to pray. Like, I'm hiding out. I'm getting ready to go into this room. And I had no idea how I'm going to do this. People are like, we're praying right now. And in some way, God confused me in that moment. And it was so powerful. And this family will deal with grief and loss for a long time. Most of the prayers of my small group were there. You know, the other thing you need, folks, you need something like that. The people that are going to pray for you when you're going through some stuff. And it wasn't just me. There are other people praying for them. The second thing is you need encouragement. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other. You need encouragement. You know, I, I finished everything in the hospital. The baby was born at 8, 19, 8, 9 o'clock. I gave my prayer. I'm walking out almost like a zombie, not sure what to do. I get out to my car. I look at my phone, and it's flooded with all of these emails and texts from my small group and people that I've asked them, dude, we're for you. You're going you're gonna to do a prayer for you right now. I have got a nice small group that actually sent me something that said, if any person in the world that I would want to be with me, if I was going through something like that, who is you? You know what that did to me, encouragement-wise? Just like building up and saying, God, you are so amazing. God, I just thank you so much that I don't live alone. There are people around me that are constantly encouraging So if your life is jammed up today, Instead of just keeping doing what you're doing, it's not working. And that's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Don't do that. Try one of these three things. And then watch God unjack. Let's pray.
Let's stand for it. I might refer to you if you don't know if you like her or anything. It was love or it was you. And I was thinking about it that for some of you, maybe today, like you walked in the air and your life is so jacked right now. You're like, uh, I don't even know what next to do. And I need God, like, I need Jesus to come to my life right now in this moment. And if that's you, these folks up here would love to pray with you to help you get that hope. But I think about that sometimes we, we do that prayer in such a way that no one prays with the person. And I kind of thought how it might be cool that we would close today with everyone praying a prayer together. And so I'm going to say this prayer with your prayer. I just want you to repeat these words just after me. I'll say it and then you can repeat it. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and just repeat after me. God, my life gets jacked up. And I tried to fix it on my own. I realized today. I need you. I need you to come into my heart and change me from within. I know you died and rose again so I can live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for your life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer, please come up. Because it's a good one. I pray with you. I'm going to give you some encouragement. Otherwise, have a great week.